0: Welcome to another mortgage uh, episode of Mortgage Masterminds. I'm Richard Greaser, VP of Marketing at Sales Boomerang, and my guest is Michael Sheneman, CFO of Bank 34. Michael, it's great to have you on.
1: Richard, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Quick plug on Sales Boomerang: if you don't know who we are, you have been living under a rock since 2017. Sales Boomerang uh, notifies a borrower uh, notifies a lender the moment one of their borrowers needs a loan. You know, one and two of the biggest lending companies in the country use Sales Boomerang. To know before their borrower does when they could uh, they could get a better loan. So if you don't know anything about Sales Boomerang, go to salesboomerang.com, check us out, and uh, we'd love to have a, a, a call to learn more about you and your business. Now we might be able to help. Um, Michael, let's jump right into this. Um, can you tell me a little bit about mortgage lending at uh, Bank Thirty Four, and um, you know, like what states you operate in, and and uh, what does stand independent mean?
1: Yeah. So our business is really focused primarily in our two core markets of Arizona and New Mexico. And, and you know, really when we say stand independent, we, we talk about supporting small businesses and, and local communities in the areas that we serve. So our economy has become so interconnected and, and the financial services industry is so controlled by such a small number of companies. You know, being independent of that gives us the opportunity to serve our customers in unique ways. And, and meet their needs in a way that, that a, a big box away from decision maker approach um, is, is unable to do. So um, that, that's really our focus is serving those markets. We do have a couple of business lines that we lend nationally for, um, you know, but, but our, our real core fo- focus here is, is, um, is on the markets in Arizona and Mexico. So, you know, from a mortgage lending perspective, you know, we don't have uh, an enormous residential mortgage lending business, we do uh, a lot of finance specifically around construction for merchant builders, uh, spec builders, and and kind of, um, I would say, small to mid-size developer home builders. And, and that's really kind of the focus of, of our business. We do a b- little bit of construction and remodel finance. Um, I would say that's kind of on a one-off basis uh, and, and focused really on a, an owner Builder of a home that wants to do something kind of custom or semi-custom, or somebody that wants to do a large remodel or expansion or renovation of a home.
0: Uh, Well, here's a question I got for you after the call that we had before: Is there any trends that you can speak to with your commercial side that you're seeing as it relates to the residential lending side? Right, they they both affect each other, right? Um, Specifically with the high demand that we're seeing right now. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, they do. You know, so we're, we're seeing this weird. Kind of supply and demand side uh, issues relative to inflation. And one of the more interesting points that we're seeing is, you know, one, home builders are getting savvier about, and I don't know if we spoke about this much, Richard, but it it came to mind as as I was thinking more about our conversation. You know, home builders are getting savvier about contracts. And so, you know, where when we first started seeing some of the materials price increases, you know, they didn't have a a mechanism to pass that on to the buyer of the home. Um, So, They would have to eat that and that would would carve into their profits, but a home buyer could get there. Now that they're wiser about it, we're seeing where we had qualifications for a mortgage amount that worked uh, for a borrower, an escalation provision in a contract because a garage door went up in cost or because, you know, appliances went up in cost or something like that is creating some issues there. Interesting. So. So that is, you know, and we're, we're in this market, you know, from it's very unfortunate for the borrowers, right? You feel terrible that these people have gotten this far along and then, and then can't qualify for a bigger mortgage or bring more cash into it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's protecting profits for the builders, which is good for them. Um, you know, I will say overall that we've seen some mitigation in some of the raw materials prices. I think lumber is normalized a little bit. Um, trade labor continues to rise in costs. We're seeing that. But the real area that we're, we're seeing issues relative to supply chain is is in equipment um, like garage door openers and then specifically appliances. And so the interesting thing about that is when we think about all the issues that are driving some of these challenges, I think the thing that gets overlooked a lot is the issues that come into the infrastructure and how we bring products from overseas into the US. Our port system is, is older and frankly somewhat antiquated. It's it's very much reliant on human labor where we've seen significant efforts to automate in places like Asia and use machines to be able to to do that work. And so our ability to bring sufficient containers through those facilities, you know, was really stressed in COVID when we had people unable to work and people sick and quarantined and those sorts of things and really called out the need to bring more automation to that and increase the capacity there for those ports to be able to move product um and 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 move into a more digital age but there's a significant stranglehold on those ports from the labor unions uh which really has hindered our ability to do that or the industry's ability to do that to be able to improve the efficiency in the supply chain so i think we're really a long ways from being able to see an effective supply chain that can handle the needs that we have uh for the continued increase in housing demand which has been tempered for a long time but i don't see anything that's anywhere near um, many, many years of continued large growth, uh, in the housing industry and in the United States overall.
0: Well, I thought that was really interesting when you were telling me that appliances were actually the holdup right now and and getting them off the ships and into the ports. See, from everything I've been reading and everything I've heard, I thought it was, you know, lumber. That's what everybody's been reading, right? Lumber and building supplies, actually building the homes, but that's not affecting at least the, the, the properties for the most part, right? That you're, that you're building
1: from from a timing perspective, we haven't had labor shortages per se. We've seen budgets that became stressed because labor got very expensive and it's normalized a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, other inputs, you know, more on the commercial side when we look at steel, steel got very, very expensive. And, and a lot of those things too, you know, really came down to creating issues for contractors and their costs when they had contracts that were based on the old prices. Um, you know, but certainly here, you know, I'm in Arizona and we have, we have a significant growth. We expect 50,000 new households in Phoenix this year. Finding labor to be able to work on these projects is, is a tremendous issue. But, but I would say from the standpoint of getting building supplies, um, you know, we don't have a, a, as big of an issue as, as other areas. I do know, I've read a bit that as you kind of move further away from the coasts, Um, and further away from the supply chains, when we have a limitation on on those products, you know, we're very close to the Long Beach and LA ports. So, you know, we're kind of a close point. It's the guys that are further down the chain where... From a seller's perspective, why would I pay to ship it to Albuquerque if I can just ship it to Phoenix and sell Mm. the product? So, so I do think there are some weird things, you know, things that that guys like you and I don't think about about these industries and about the supply chain that would never cross our mind that, that maybe impact us different ways than it would in a market that was kind of more inland.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you first brought up appliances, I thought you were talking about the computer trips in the in the appliances because everybody hears about that and the production uh, issues. I know cars are being held up. If you go to car dealerships across the country and try and lease, there are no lease incentives right now. You are actually paying the same amount to lease a car that you are to finance a car in most car dealerships because they just don't have inventory. There's literally nothing on the lot.
1: Well, they've had uh, a good friend of mine, just an anecdote on that, has been was looking for a new uh, Toyota Tundra. And the, the dealer close to his house had one that was equipped the way he wanted it in stock. And they, they were trying to charge him a $10,000 low stock premium on the on the vehicle. And so, um, needless to say, wasn't excited about paying that, went and found a dealer that wouldn't. But it's, it's created a big disruption. And and on that front, I'm no expert in the semiconductor industry or the, or the microchip industry for that matter. But But, you know, there doesn't seem to be anything on the horizon where we're going to see, you know, a, a real correction of that anytime soon.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, really interesting. It's interesting that the appliances are really tied to the, um, you know, to the actual shipping and loading and, and those kind of just very basic stuff, right, that, mm-hmm. that you, you wouldn't think would be the holdup. Does it actually hold up a home, right? Like, you got a new home done. I mean, you can't sell the home without a fridge or a dishwasher, right?
1: No, you can't, you know, and, and a lot of this comes down to good management from the builder's perspective. You know, it's not that they can't be had. It's just a question of timing being different than, what it would have been you know a year ago or three years ago right so so we have seen some instances where i would say there were kind of modest delays where they weren't there but i've been generally impressed with the home builders that we work with on their ability to get out and say okay i know i know and and this is in commercial construction too you know i know i'm going to have to get certain things ordered ahead of time commercially you know a big one right now is doors so You know, you've got to get out ahead of of doors or you're not going to have doors in your building. So I think what it's creating is 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 a a requirement that that builders be more proactive in ordering their supplies. I don't believe there's anything that we kind of, quote, unquote, can't get. um, But but if you're not on top of getting that that stuff ordered early, it's going to catch in and mess with your schedule for sure.
0: Well, so let's pivot here. Um, I know that a lot of cities and markets in the country right now are having a lot of time, be- uh, trouble because, um, there's just not enough residential homes for people who, who want to buy the homes. And, um, actually a lot of investors are coming in like Dallas from what I understand used to be 4% investor owned with the residential homes now. And now it's like over 20% or 25%. Um, and so my Two-part question: One is, are you seeing that in your Arizona and New Mexico kind of areas, and are and is it also good for your business because you guys do a lot of commercial loans?
1: So we are seeing a tremendous amount of investor interest in the market, um, and um, from the same groups that I think you know, you look at Dallas and Atlanta, and there is a lot of hedge fund money uh, that's coming in there, and. And that that doesn't really do a whole lot for us. I mean, those guys are writing big checks, and and they're definitely kind of propping up the market, which otherwise would be would be very um, very active anyway because of the you know we continue to have big in migration. So you know, uh, and and a lot of that's a product of the fact that we were really underbuilt for a lot of years because a lot of home builders really got burned uh, in the kind of 2008 to 12 time frame, and we're a little hesitant to really ramp up production volumes. So now that we're seeing that that dissipate. You know, I, I don't know that it's really good for anybody's interest when we start t- talking about kind of smaller businesses to have these private equity funds own billions of dollars of real estate in the markets. Um, you know, I still like to see that that we're supporting home builders that build homes that, that people want to own and live in. Um, I don't know that that does a lot for our economy to get a lot of rents pushed out to a company like BlackRock. You know, we do have a lot of, of kind of individual local investors that are doing that kind of Kind of work, and we love supporting those guys. Um, but I think the the ramifications of it, you know, beyond just money kind of leaving our markets, which is important for us as a local institution, is um, you know, housing affordability is is you know getting worse and worse. When we talk about Phoenix in particular, you know, when you start having you know not only you know the the kind of workforce housing priced out, you know, people that that work in service industries and businesses all over town, it's harder and harder for them to find housing and. You know, even you have young professionals, we have people that, that work for us that are out of school and trying to buy their first home and, and are priced out of the market in a big, big way. And so I think, I think it creates a lot of challenges for us. And certainly it's a, it's a healthy economy and it's great that people are investing in it, but, but it's, it's not without its risks.
0: So, I mean, a lot of folks don't like answering this question, but do you think there should be some government regulation? I mean, the only reason I bring that up is Canada just literally came out. I think Justin Trudeau was just straight up saying no more foreign investment in the Vancouver market. It's too hot. So for two years, there's, the, there's a moratorium on for, uh, foreign investors buying any, prop, any property in Vancouver. That's pretty extreme.
1: It is. You know, it's hard for me to say I'm a fan of government regulation because of the, the adverse consequences are really hard to get at. Um, You know, Vancouver's an interesting market. This goes back, you know, probably to 2012 or 13 or or somewhere thereabouts, but a number of years ago, that's always been a a kind of a darling for Chinese investors. And somebody made a website called mansionorcrackshack.com and highlighted million dollar homes you know, in, in, uh, in Vancouver with, you know, crack houses that they found in some kind of a database and we're trying, you had to pick whether this was a million dollar house in Vancouver or a crack house. And so, so I do think some kind of, of market, um, or some sort of intervention could help. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm always, always hesitant to, to want to see the government more involved in in these things than they need to be.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, let me ask you a question. So, Rates are rising. We're in a, a, a rate rising market right now, and it's going to continue. It's a good thing or uh, a bad thing? Is it different? Is that different for uh, commercial versus re- residential in your mind?
1: No, I think it's very much the same. You know, so banks look at rising rates as a, an increase in profits. Right, a lot of the money we make is based on interest margins, and historically, generally speaking, you have rates on loans increase faster than banks rise rates on deposits. So you know, it should make the banking business more profitable. Um, I think it comes with a lot of, of economic risk, right? You know, when we look at both residential and commercial, the value of assets and how much people pay for them is predicated on interest rates. You know, when we look at at mortgages, you know, most mortgages are bought based on a monthly payment at an interest rate. And so, you know, if you look at at the history of, you the increase in housing values from the 80s to today, you know more than half of it can be explained in reductions in interest rates. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a problem. I think you're gonna have people's affordability continue to decline as market interest rates rise. I will say the longer end of the rate curve has been pretty steady, so I don't know how much that's gonna translate into continued increases in residential mortgage rates. Um, you know, but I, I don't think that's a good thing. And when we look at commercial property, the value of a commercial property is how much income it produces and what the rate of return is. And so, those rates of return have to go up, which means values have to come down. And so, so you know, overall, you know, there's there's a reason that that the interest rates are such a powerful policy tool for the Fed. You know, and that's because they impact our economy tremendously. And so you know if interest rates get back up over 5% or, or 6%, you know that has to adversely affect the economy cuz we're we're just so dependent on housing to to drive so much of what we do. So I think it's a big risk that I that I think while well, inflation is a tremendous problem, you know we're in we're in in a bit of a bind here. You know, it's it's a weird thing to think about about, you know, economic risks being high and and how do you, you know, as an investor in anything, how do you invest but you don't want to stay in cash because inflation's eight percent. So it's a it's a weird predicament that we're in right now, for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, so you guys did really well. Your your specific organization did really well last year, as I remember you were, you were saying. And then this year, I believe you were forecasting like a twenty percent growth or something like that. Um, so so you're both growing and you're getting more profitable at the same time. So is that just a beautiful thing right now for your organization? And uh, do you think most banks are kind of looking at it similar, or you guys are unique?
1: So we, you know, we um, had a great growth re- year last year, looking to have another good growth year this year. You know, we, are, we happen to be in a market that is growing tremendously from a local economic perspective, right? So there's a lot of opportunities for us to grow. Um, interest rates are rising, which generally should be good for banks, um, you know, but recession risk is high. So, you know, we're trying to continue to, to build our business intelligently. Um, and grow the right way and, and be be wise about how we go, but, but be mindful of the fact that, you know, the, the kind of rate rises specifically that we're talking about from the Fed, the last time the Fed raised rates, it, it basically almost immediately caused, a lot of people would say, the, the dot-com bubble. So, you know, when you have really high equity valuations and the Fed starts aggressively attacking rates and a lot of people saying that the market needs to come down a lot, you know, those things create issues. You know, one of the most powerful things I, I really try to frame economics as a social science, you know, when people see the value of their 401k go down, their brokerage accounts go down, they spend less money because they feel like they have less money. Like those are powerful drivers of human behavior. And at the end of the day, the economy comes down to somebody's confidence in going and spending a dollar. And so, you know, there's there certainly is is a lot of risk in, in those things. But, you know, we, we think local economic, microeconomic conditions are still going to be good as we continue to have people want to live here you know, the big urban centers continue to kind of drive people away. Employers are more receptive to having people work remote. So we feel good about the economy here. Uh, and and that's part of it. And, and a real effort to kind of grow our business in a, in a market where, you know, the competitive landscape is conducive to what we want to do.
0: Well, Michael, that's that was a huge lesson. I feel like I was in an economics class for a second. That was fantastic. Um, look, I appreciate you giving us your time. Um I just want to say that if anybody wants to reach out to you, is there a good way that they can reach out to you? It's like, do you prefer um, email? You prefer LinkedIn? Anything like that?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn is great. If anybody has any questions for me, they can email me. It's pretty simple. Michael.s at bank34.com. A friend of Richard's is a friend of mine, so um, they can reach out to me there and I'm happy to answer anything I can.
0: Awesome. Michael, well, thanks so much for a great discussion.
1: Yeah, it's always a pleasure, Richard. We'll talk soon.
0: Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and tell all your friends about the show. We at Sales Boomerang started this podcast to elevate the mortgage lending industry by sharing the kind of exclusive insider knowledge from the successes and failures of the best of the best. The foundation of every successful lender is borrower retention. Sales Boomerang is the number one fully automated borrower retention system in the industry. One in two of the biggest lending companies in the United States use Sales Boomerang to make sure they reach out to their borrowers when they need a loan, and more importantly, before their competitors do. If you want to learn more about Sales Boomerang, check us out at salesboomerang.com.